Well, uh, today we're, uh, after a couple of weeks of uh, taking a break, we're resuming our series, Law and Order, God's Intent. And we've spent several weeks now kind of uh, exploring around in a uh, book of the Bible called Galatians. It's actually a letter that Paul, who was an early leader in the church, wrote to a group of people really a lot like us in a city called Galatia. And we've been exploring this book because it talks a lot about God's system of law and order or God's system of justice. And we've learned that it's different from our system of justice. It's not based on our performance. God's system is based on what He has already done for us. It's not about me doing enough good or me not doing things that I shouldn't do. His system is simply about the fact that Jesus has already died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. And my role in His system is to be willing to simply place my trust or my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we've been exploring this, we've also recognized that sin is still very serious. In fact, God took sin so seriously that He allowed Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So sin is not something to be taken lightly, but my path into having a relationship with God is about my trust in Him. Now, today I want to wrap up this series by exploring what Paul has to say about our role in helping people who have been wounded in spiritual battle because of their sin. Imagine this. Imagine that you had a friend that was wounded in a physical battle. What would you do for them? Bubba. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure that he was okay. If you had a friend wounded in battle, would you would you rush into danger to rescue them? Now, I know Forrest Gump is probably a sort of a lighthearted look at that whole thing because we don't take that story all that seriously. But we all know real stories and we've seen lots of movies about real stories where people have been wounded in battle and their friends or their fellow soldiers have risked their lives to save them. What happens when people we know are wounded in spiritual battle? What are we willing to do to rescue them? Christians, a lot of times, have been accused of being the only army that doesn't care for its wounded. You see, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. 
And our enemy is Satan. And Satan is doing anything that he can to try to lure us in to repeated sin and wound us because of that. And as we see people who fall around us, how do we respond to that? How do we help them? Now, realize today as we talk about this subject, we're not talking about the person who maybe, you know, I told a little lie the other day or I years ago cheated on a test one time or I went over the speed limit yesterday. While those are sins and they're wrong, we are talking about somebody that becomes involved in repeated sin or we're talking about somebody who the consequences of their sin were really difficult. I have a friend who uh, has served for a number of years in a leadership position in a church and I don't know where, but somewhere along the line, some of his life got a bit off track and he began to embezzle some funds from the church. And obviously when it was discovered, he lost his position, lost his job, lost his income. It has been a really difficult time for him. He is very wounded by all of this. Now, you know what? As a result of his wounding, I worry about his being rescued and his healing process. Unfortunately, the brand of church that he is a part of doesn't always have a great reputation for doing a really good job of rescuing their wounded and having a good process in place to try to to restore them. And so I'm concerned about him and concerned about his restoration and him being rescued. That, that's one kind of situation. Or maybe it's the kind of person who gets involved in a, in a marital affair and they, they're drawn by their sin away from relationships and they're drawn by their sin away from God and away from the church and away from Christ followers that they're connected to. What do we do in that situation? Or how about somebody who becomes involved in some kind of secret addictive sin? How do we rescue them? I think Paul has an answer for us in Galatians chapter 6. And again, I hope you brought your Bible today and you'll turn to Galatians chapter 6. And if not, to follow along on the side screen. I just want to look at three verses. There's a lot in this chapter and I encourage you to go home this afternoon or sometime this week and read the whole chapter. But I want to look just at the first three verses. Here's what Paul writes. He says, brothers or people like us, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says those who are spiritual should restore them. That it's all about reconciling people. It's not the only time that Paul writes about this whole idea of rescuing or reconciling people. In another letter, he wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5, he said, all this newness of life is from God who brought us back to Himself through what Christ did. Paul says all of us at one time needed rescuing and we were reconciled to God. We, our relationship to Him was restored because of what Jesus did when He died on the cross. And then he gives us this challenge. And he says, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. God has invited us to be part of the process of rescuing and restoring people in relationship with Him. So, if we've been invited to be part of this, what's it all about? And that's what I want to do today, is just kind of dig around and try to understand what is restoration and how does it work? Let's begin by answering that simple question, what is restoration? The word restore, as it's used in the Bible here, is the idea of taking a fishing net that has been broken or torn and mending it. Or it's the idea of a surgeon 
fixing a bone that is out of place, realigning it so that it can heal properly. It's the idea of taking something that is broken and fixing it or repairing it or refitting it so that it becomes new again. This idea of restoration is all about grace. It's about second and third and fourth chances for people. It is about God's grace towards people that have messed up. And you know what? All of us at some point in our lives have messed up and we have experienced God's grace pouring into our lives. You know, grace is the glue that takes broken pieces and it bonds them back together again. Grace is a welcome mat that invites someone who has been wounded back into the family. Once they have repented and shown the fruit of their brokenness, they are welcomed back into a privileged place in the family, just like the prodigal son was welcomed home by the father. Now, that's what restoration is. That's what rescuing someone who is wounded is all about. But who's on the rescue team? Who's supposed to do this rescuing? Well, listen again to what Paul says in verse 1. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. You who are spiritual. Now, maybe you immediately think, oh, you who are spiritual, that probably leaves me out because that must mean all the really holy people. Or that must mean all the people who know a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. Or maybe that means it's just the pastors of the church that can restore people. Well, let's try to understand, what does Paul mean by those who are spiritual? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 5 and we were talking about walking in step with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in just a few verses earlier, a couple paragraphs before, Paul says this in verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And do you remember we talked about the fruit of the Spirit? We said that as a Christ follower, I have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit dwell within me. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, there are these fruit that ought to be produced in my life. Not because I do anything to produce them, but they are a natural outgrowth of us walking in step with the Spirit. And they were things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Now, having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and walking in step with the Spirit ought to be the goal of every Christ follower. Wouldn't you agree? That, that every Christ follower ought to desire to walk in step with the Spirit. Every Christ follower ought to listen to and respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their life. We ought to be people who are influenced by the Holy Spirit. That, I think, is what Paul would define as someone who is spiritual. So I think Paul is saying that all of us who are Christ followers, all of us who try to walk in step with the Spirit, ought to be in the business, ought to be on the team of rescuing and restoring people. So the way I read it, I think Paul says we're all in. The responsibility falls on all of us who are Christ followers. So how do we go about doing it then? What's the, the process? What's the procedures? Well, I think there are some uh, procedures that we got to follow in trying to rescue people. Do you know that uh, on the Internet you can find the Coast Guard has printed uh, a list of procedures for a man overboard? Well, I've also found uh, the New Zealand version of these. And uh, here is what they uh, say you ought to do if somebody goes overboard on a boat. Uh, they say, first, when you first discover that someone has fallen overboard, the most important thing to remember is don't panic. Now, that may be easy for the person who's still in the boat. 
But I'm thinking the person in the water is panicking. Uh, when, uh, if the person is on a lifeline, stop the boat immediately and re- recover them using the lifeline. Okay, that makes sense. If you are well prepared and have practiced the drill regularly, you will automatically know how to react. Now, how many of you, the last time you were out as a family on a pleasure afternoon on your boat, you stopped and had a man overboard drill? Yeah, no, nobody has a man overboard drill. Uh, next thing, immediately throw a life buoy or a rescue ring. And that makes sense. And then here's my favorite one. Raise the alarm by shouting, man overboard. In parentheses, even if you are the only one left aboard. Why? I think the guy in the water knows he's overboard. Hey, I want to share with you some procedures that I think can help us spiritually when people find themselves drowning in the water of sin. When people somehow step off of the boat of right living. How can we help them? I brought along a little prop. I uh, thought about buying one of those actual rescue rings, but I discovered this week they're very expensive. At least they're more expensive than I'm willing to pay for a prop. So I brought the swimming pool plastic version along this morning. Hey, when we see someone who needs rescued, what do we do? There's three steps. And the first thing we need to do is we need to keep our eyes on them. Now, we need to keep our eyes on them. If you read down a little further in the list of Coast Guard things, seriously, it says somebody, if there's more than one person on on board still, somebody's job ought to be just to watch them, to make sure that you don't lose where they are. And when someone spiritually is drowning in sin, we need to keep our eyes on them. Don't forget them. Don't turn our back on them. Don't ignore them. They need to get a phone call from us. An email. We need to invite them out to lunch. We need to stop by their house. We need to write them a note of encouragement. We need to pray for them diligently. We need to keep our eyes on them. That's one of the reasons that we make such a big deal around here about making sure that people are connected. Connected through a life group. Connected through serving. Connected through some kinds of relationships. Because when somebody goes overboard, when somebody is wounded because of sin, we want somebody to make sure they've got their eyes on them and immediately is reaching out to help rescue them and get them back into the boat. I guarantee you this morning, if somebody in my life group were to go overboard and be wounded by sin, I would know about it and I would keep my eyes on them. Now the other side of that is, it is possible... So I hope it wouldn't happen. But it is possible, I believe, for people who come to Crosspoint but really aren't connected here, who haven't taken the steps necessary to really get connected in relationship with some people, I'm afraid it is possible that they could go overboard. They could be wounded in battle by sin. And there would be nobody to keep their eyes on them. The first step in this process is making sure we keep our eyes on them second step in helping people who might go overboard is we need to throw them the rope of forgiveness. I mean, we need to toss that rescue ring out there and throw them the rope of forgiveness. Whatever the sin is that has wounded them, God forgives them. There is no sin that is bigger than God's ability to forgive people. In fact, listen to what God said. He's quoted in Hebrews 8.12 of the New Testament. God said, and I will forgive their wrongdoings. And then notice there's no parentheses that say except the following sins. 
No, it says, I will forgive their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. When people are wounded by sin, they need some help remembering that God wants to forgive them. They need someone who will apply the salve of forgiveness to their wounds. They need to know that God forgives them and so do we. So do we. In fact, our willingness to forgive people, I believe, often opens the door for them to be able to accept and realize God's forgiveness. Sometimes they need to know first that we're willing to forgive them before they're willing to accept the fact that God wants to forgive them. Now, here's some guidelines that I would suggest for properly throwing the rope of forgiveness to people. First, don't minimize the sin. Don't treat sin like it's no big deal, like, it's, like everybody does it. It's just common among people. Because you know what? God takes sin very seriously. Sin is wrong and there are consequences to sin. Now, while God is willing to forgive us of all sin, He never promises that He will take away all the consequences of sin. My friend is suffering the consequences. Now, I am absolutely confident that he has been forgiven by God and I am absolutely confident that the majority of people around him have genuinely forgiven him but it doesn't erase the consequences that he suffers of a loss of a job and loss of an income and the pain in his family and the embarrassment of what's happened. That's not taken away. Consequences remain even though there is forgiveness. Think about the story of the woman who was caught in adultery from the Bible. If you know that story, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery by a group of religious leaders and they literally almost drug her before Jesus and said to Him, Jesus, no, the Old Testament says that we should stone her because of this sin. What do you say? Jesus was quiet for a moment. Then He looked at the accusers and He said, you know, any of you that's never committed sin, go ahead and stone her. And one by one, every one of those accusers walked away. Now, you know what? That woman still had to deal with the consequences of her sin. She still had to deal with the embarrassment of what had happened, the humiliation, the tarnished reputation. But you know what Jesus said to her in that moment? Jesus said, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. I forgive you, but get the sin out of your life. Second, when it comes to tossing the rope of forgiveness, we need to make sure we don't point fingers. Their sin is not something that needs to be broadcast to the world. You know, here's what we do as Christ followers sometimes. We get this group of people together and we say, you know what, let me tell you the whole story about them so that you'll know exactly how to pray for them. <laughs> you know what, I don't need to know the whole story to be able to pray for them. My friend, there's a lot of details about what happened that I, I don't know. And I've said several times to people, I don't need to know the details. It's not important. But it doesn't keep me from praying for Him and reaching out to Him. And we don't need to broadcast widely what's happened in people's lives. Another part of not pointing fingers is we need to be careful that we don't look down on them because of their sin. Their sin doesn't make you better than they are. We are all sinners. We all mess up. We all have made mistakes. In fact, I love what Jesus taught when He said this. In Matthew 7, He was talking one day and Jesus said, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? <laughs> How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye 
when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We've all messed up. And be careful when we throw them the rope of forgiveness that we don't act like suddenly we are better than they are. That we have this attitude of superiority because of their sin. And third, when you throw them the rope of, of forgiveness, encourage confession and repentance. You know, a vital step to receiving God's forgiveness is being willing to admit that I've messed up, that I've done wrong, that I have sinned. You know, and the truth is no one can do this for the wounded person. They have to own their sin themselves. You know, you can throw somebody the rescue ring, but they have to reach out and take it for themselves. They need to get to the point where they can do exactly what David did. King David committed sin, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And he finally got to the point in his life where he could admit that he had done wrong. And this is what he said, talking to God one day. He said, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And all of us, when we get involved in sin, we've got to get to the point where we can say, I was wrong. God, I sinned against you. You see, true restoration requires confession. The secrets of the heart and the past actions have to be brought out into the light so that they can be dealt with. And there has to be confusion or confession that doesn't include a lot of um, making excuses. You know, we can't try to blame others. It's not my fault. I got sucked into it. No, we have to own the responsibility that what we did was wrong. So we need to keep our eyes on them. But we need to throw them the rope of forgiveness. And the third thing we need to do is to guide them back into the boat. To get them back to a place of healthy connection and serving again. Now I want you to realize, oftentimes, this is a process. And the process can sometimes go on for a while. The length of the process is often based on the depth of the sin, the difficulty of the consequences. But it will take some time. It may require a, a small group of people coming around that person and helping them to identify the habits and the patterns in their life that led them to get wounded because of their sin and to get rid of those things in their life. It may require some time before they can be restored to all positions of leadership and serving it may require taking some steps that can be painful because they may need to go to other people and admit what they've done. They may need to seek some restitution. They may need to seek forgiveness from people that they hurt in the process of their sin. I can guarantee you this about this process of guiding them back into the boat. It will need some comfort from us. No one but the wounded person knows how painful the humiliation and the consequences of their sin can be. And in the midst of that pain, they need in large doses from us comfort and kindness and encouragement and love. They need the fruit of the Holy Spirit overflowing from our lives to flow into their lives. Maybe that's why Paul said it's those who are keeping in step with the Spirit that ought to be the ones who reach out to rescue those who are wounded because of sin. Because they need overflowing from our lives that sense of gentleness and goodness and kindness and patience. And you know what? We need to be willing to be tools that the Holy Spirit can use in the process of rescuing wounded people. 
There's a great story that was in the American Medical Journal quite a few years ago now. There's a story about Jane McAdams and her mother. Jane's uh, mother was a lady who grew up during the Depression, and so she was very frugal, very careful about how she spent her money, didn't have a lot of extra things in her life. But for a number of years, she had had one special thing that she kept. She had purchased this really beautiful, long, flowing, frilly nightgown, and she folded it very neatly and put it in the bottom drawer of her dresser, and she would kept it there in case she ever had to go to the hospital. She wanted to have a nice nightgown to take. Well, as Jane tells the story, she says that her mother was diagnosed with cancer and the day for her to go to the hospital came. Jane said, I didn't know how to talk to her about all of this. She said, I knew we needed to have a conversation about her prognosis and about everything that was going on, but I just didn't know how to have that conversation. It was January and her mother's birthday was approaching, so she thought, you know, I'm going to go buy her a brand new nightgown. The one that she's been saving all these years in the drawer has become kind of yellowed over time, and so I'm going to go out and purchase her a brand new gorgeous nightgown. She purchased it, wrapped it up in a box, and took it to her mom. The mom unwrapped it and looked at it, lifted it out of the box, and then placed it back. Then she covered it back over with the paper and put the lid of the box back on. She said, it's beautiful, but would you, would you take it back to the store for me? She pulled out a newspaper advertisement. She said, there's something else I'd like to have. She pointed to a spring purse. It was kind of expensive. And Jane said, I couldn't believe that's what my mother was asking for. She'd never asked for those frivolous kinds of things. And why in January was she asking for a summer purse? And then she said, it hit me. Mom was asking, will I make it to June? If you're willing to buy this purse for me, then I'll fight to live that long. So Jane went out and bought that summer purse and brought it to her mom. And don't you know, she used it. In fact, she wore it out. She went through several more summer purses and on her 83rd birthday, Jane was flying to California to see her mom and she took her another new summer purse. Grace, rescuing grace towards wounded people is all about communicating to them gifts. Not a gift of a nightgown that signals the end of life or death, but the gift of a summer purse that says to them there is life after failure. That there is hope after you've messed up. That there is rescue once you've goofed up. That there is a second chance and a third chance. That's what God's grace is all about. That's the message of the cross and the empty tomb. And it ought to be the message of people like you and I who reach out to wounded people who have been wounded in a spiritual battle. That there is life after failure. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? This morning I'm pretty confident that in this room there are some people who came here today that are wounded. You have been wounded by your own sin. And maybe there was a time in your life when you were walking really closely with God, but something happened to get you off track and you have been wounded by sin. Could I say to you today in the quietness of this moment, God forgives you. And if you'll admit your wrong to Him, He wants to pour His grace into your life. And I want you to know this morning, whatever it is that you've done wrong, I forgive you. Because God forgives you. 
And maybe there are others in this room that you came to this place today and you have never walked with Jesus Christ and you are living in the lifelong woundedness of your sin. And I'd like you to know before you leave this place, you could have a relationship with Jesus today. He'd love to heal your woundedness. He wants to forgive you and pour grace into your life. So I wonder if there's anybody in this room this morning that would courageously, right where you sit, just lift your hand and say, you know what, I am wounded and I long for the forgiveness of God. Thank you. I see some of those hands. Thank you. And I want you to know, those of you who have raised your hands, that before you leave this place today, someone from our staff would love to be able to talk to you to make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can experience His forgiveness and grace. Let me pray for all of us. God, thank You for Your love, for second chances and third chances. Thank You for grace. God, I pray for these people who feel wounded today. God, would You pour out in this very moment Your grace into their lives. Would You remind them right now that You forgive them, that You love them with all of Your heart. And You want to restore them. God, You want a relationship with them. And would You let that relationship begin anew today. And God, I thank You for the healing power that can come to our lives through You. And I thank You for what You'll do in each of our lives today and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.